Engaging presentations on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. Under God and together we will make America powerful again. We will make America wealthy again. We will make America strong again. We will make America proud again. And we will make America great again. Well, good evening, friends. Pro-life leader Frank Pavone here. Welcome to Praying for America. I'm actually in Washington, D.C. during these days. But I want to bring you, again, an important uh, segment about Mark Levin's book, The Democrat Party Hates America. And it's about thought control, language control. We have to be aware of this. You know, President Trump always says, you know, we don't talk about greatness anymore in America. To make America great again, we've got to talk about making America great and talk about what that greatness means. And to talk about it, we've got to be thinking about it. Why do you think the other side wants to engage in thought control? Because thinking is so consequential for what happens in reality, in action. And that's why scripture, we're going to go into a passage here before I share with you this clip from uh, some weeks ago. You may have missed it. Otherwise, it's, it's really worth uh, uh, delving into again. But this uh, scripture is very, very, very uh, clear about how our thinking needs to be in God, in Christ. I want to read to you this passage from uh, Paul to the Philippians, and we'll pray. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, this is Philippians 4, uh, verse 8, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Let us pray. Lord, we bring, as St. Paul says elsewhere, every thought into captivity to Christ. May our thinking be positive, joyful, focused on you, O God, seeing the realities of the evils we have to deal with, but seeing the bigger reality of your triumph over these evils, the triumph of good over evil, of truth over falsehood, of grace over sin. And by thinking of greatness, and by thinking and talking about America's greatness, may we make progress, Lord, in saving our country and making her great again. We do this in you, we do this through you, we do this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Okay, well, as I say, I'm traveling, speaking in Washington. But I want to bring you again this important segment about what Mark Levin says in his new book, The Democrat Party Hates America, about language control and thought control. Take a look. We are one movement, one people, one family, and one glorious nation under God. Let's look at a couple of the examples that Mark gives, and then I want to give a couple of examples from my uh, pro-life activities. On page 113 of his book, he quotes um, uh, Mikhail Heller, an author and scholar raised in the Soviet Union. 
Mikael says, language is the most important and powerful weapon in the hands of a state that has decided to transform human beings. The creation of a new language serves two aims, to obtain, as George Orwell put it, an instrument with which to express the philosophy and thoughts that are permitted. Notice, not that are true, but that are permitted, not that correspond spawn to your mind or the mind of God, but to the will of someone in power. The thoughts that are permitted. And he goes on, and secondly, to make all other sorts of thinking impossible. The autocratic control of the Democrat Party doesn't just want to get to your actions or even your speech. They want to suppress your speech. We see what they've done on social media, which, of course, mainstream media has been captive to them for a long time. We see what they're trying to do to our students in school, even though they even try to intrude on the churches. Why do you think they, they, they had me thrown out of the priesthood? They don't want the word of truth that I was getting into the pulpits to be there. That, that's what it boils down to. They want to control not just the speech, however. They want to control your thinking. What are the permissible thoughts? What are the impermissible thoughts about which maybe you ought to feel guilty for saying or for thinking, which is what their goal is? Now, this is not going to be outright persuading people that black is white or that white is black. But to, as Associate Professor Magda Stroinska says uh, from McCaster University in Canada, Many learn to say that they do see things in prescribed colors and to call them by prescribed names. So it's not necessarily a direct assault on what you obviously know to be true. Say that black is white, white is black. It's pretty close to that, though, with the transgender stuff or then the abortion stuff. But it's to condition people gradually by talking in certain ways to get them to think in certain ways and to see things as, um, she says, in certain colors. Now, one of the ways is this is being, this conditioning is happening, is an actual change of terminology in dictionaries. And of course, all the media follows the same script and even government. Let me give you a, a few of the examples uh, here that Mark gives in the book. National Public Radio recently reported Dictionary.com has updated thousands of entries and added hundreds of words in its latest release, reflecting how society has evolved even in just the last few months. They updated more than 15,000 entries and added 650 brand new terms. Now, many of these deal with language relating to identity and race and ethnicity, of course, gender, sexuality, and health and wellness. Uh, John Kelly, one of their senior editors, said, the work of a dictionary is more than just adding new words. It's an ongoing effort to ensure that how we define words reflects changes in language. Okay. Um, examples. Entirely new terms. Afro-Latino, brown face, white splain. Uh, another dictionary-wide change, homosexuals replaced with gay, gay man, uh, gay woman, 
references to homosexuality replaced with gay sexual orientation. Okay. And then we have, let's see, another set of examples of what the government itself is using in its changing of language. The Washington Free Beacon reported this. Federal agencies under Biden, of course, are using taxpayer dollars to promote inclusive language guides, instructing Americans to, it's like, wait a minute, I don't need any instructions from you about what I say. What do you mean instructing Americans? Yeah, instructing Americans to abandon terms like homeless people for left-wing alternatives like people experiencing unsheltered homelessness. These people are so crazy. The recommendations from agencies. Now, here we go. Government controlling thought. Does that sound American to you? Or does that sound Marxist? The Centers for Disease Control and the National Institutes of Health focus on, quote, non-stigmatizing language, which means eliminating terms such as inmate and alcoholic from common use. Instead, persons who are incarcerated or detained, persons with alcohol use disorder. That becomes more abstract and more ridiculous. The NIH Style Guide advises people to say gender affirmation or gender confirmation rather than sex change. It's sex change. Don't tell me what to say. Don't tell me what to think. I, I, this is unbelievable. This is, this is a bunch of garbage. Now, it's not just a matter of changing words. Here's what we have to see about, about the language and thought control. What it's also about is repeating lies. For example, uh, Biden keeps, Biden is, have you seen the litany of things that he continuously lies about, both in terms of what Republican and conservative policy is, in terms of his own personal history? Oh my goodness, he just makes up stories that have been debunked time and time again. Things that President Trump said, you know, the good people on both sides uh, mythology from uh, uh, Charlottesville continues to be uh, repeated, even though it's been debunked so many times. But here's an example. Instead of making the wealthy pay their fair share, some Republicans, Biden claimed, want Medicare and Social Security to sunset. No, the Republican Party didn't call for that. But they repeat and repeat and repeat. So repeat it enough, people think that it's true. Climate change, oh my goodness. Here's the, the biggest battlefront as far as repeating lies, repeating myths. Mythology, mythology, mythology. Even the Pope has begun repeating this in his latest document that he, that he sent out about the environment. Please, get off the climate change train. You're going to look like fools in the eyes of history, and you already look like fools in the eyes of those that know what they're talking about in regard to this. But the spectacularly, Mark puts uh, 18 different examples of the spectacularly wrong predictions made when Earth Day started back in 1970. And these climate change people, they they're just hopped onto the same train. Should have the word embarrassment written all over it. 
Harvard biologists, I'll give you a few of these, Harvard biologist George Wald estimated, civilization will end within 15 or 30 years, that is by 1985 or 2000, unless immediate action is taken. You hear anybody repeating this kind of garbage, garbage predictions? Maybe somebody with the nickname of AOC, perhaps? I mean, let me see, i try to get some of these other. Most of the people who are going to die in the greatest cataclysm in the history of man have already been born. Paul Ehrlich, fool that he is, wrote in a 1969 essay. These people are just stupid. It's already too late to avoid mass starvation, declared Dennis Hayes, the chief organizer for Earth Day. I guess, you know, my suggestion that what these people do for Earth Day, find a cave in the earth and don't bother us anymore. Just let us never hear from you again. It's just stupidity. Barry Commoner is another stupid person. Predicted that decaying organic pollutants would use up all the oxygen in America's rivers, causing freshwater fish to suffocate. And on and on and on and on and on and on and on, this ridiculousness goes, repeating over and over the lies. And this is how you engineer people. Just keep lying and keep repeating it. The other thing that happens, and I want to use this book, Language is a Tool of Oppression. This is a book by very good professor, St. Louis University, William Brennan. Came out years ago, Dehumanizing the Vulnerable when word games take lives. And what he did was he analyzed what he calls the semantics of oppression. Dehumanizing terminology that is used against groups of people who are then deprived of their rights because people end up believing the terminology. Let's look at a few examples. And he has them into different categories. African Americans, okay, so the categories deficient human, Quote from the uh, U.S. Supreme Court in 1857, a subordinate and inferior class of beings. Non-human, it's another category. Um, quote here from a publisher in 1867, the Negro is not a human being. Another category, animal. Professor Charles Carroll in 1900 wrote, the Negro is one of the lower animals. Parasite. Dr. E.T. Brady wrote in 1909, they, the Negroes, are parasites. Disease. The, the American Colonization Society, free blacks in our country are a contagion. Another category, inanimate objects. The, the Supreme Court, 1857, the Dred Scott case, a Negro of the African race was regarded as an article of property. Dr. William English in 1903, another category is waste product. The Negro race is a heritage of organic and psychic debris. And finally, the category of non-person. In the eyes of the law, the slave is not a person. Virginia the Supreme Court decision of 1858. Now what Dr. Brennan takes is a chart here showing these semantics as applied to different groups in all the different categories. There's examples of all of them. You take, for example, um, European Jews. And you have a Hitler quote, the Jews are undoubtedly a race but not human. Nazi anatomy professor Hurt, the prisoners here are animals. Nazi propaganda booklet, the Jew is a parasite. Joseph Goebbels, someday Europe will perish of the Jewish disease. 
uh, other quotes, uh, garbage, transit material, um, uh, an inferior race, etc. So this verbal engineering, what happens is that you get these respectable sources in society, whether they're court decisions, laws, respected academicians, political leaders, and, and uh, by using this language repeatedly, they are preparing the way for actual oppression of people or justifying the oppression that's already been done and getting people to do what? To talk and to think in a certain way. Now, what group of people has this been in particular applied to in our day? Children in the womb. In all of these categories, listen to what certain segments of society have said about babies like you and I were, once were in the first nine months of our lives when we were still in our mother's wombs. The Roe v. Wade decision now gratefully reversed. The fetus at most represents only the potentiality of human life. A rabbi in 1984, a fetus is not a human being. Dr. Hart Peterson in 1985, like a primitive animal that's poked with a stick. He's talking about when the baby moves, sensitive to touch. He's calling the baby an animal. Professor Pacheski in 1984, the fetus is a parasite. Professor Fletcher in 1979, pregnancy when not wanted is a disease, in fact a venereal disease. That's the only sense, by the way, in which abortion can be considered health care, if you consider pregnancy to be a disease. Otherwise, what disease does abortion cure? What medical condition does it treat? And on and on, garbage, refuse, abortion is calling these babies parasites and so forth. The manipulation of language has led to holocausts, whether it's the holocaust of our Jewish brothers and sisters and others who died with them, or the current holocaust of abortion, which since Roe v. Wade has claimed 65 million lives. Now another key here to what, how the language is manipulated, I want to give you an example of this that the Democrats in Congress have, have done, is that while you have the denial of the very personhood, equal rights, and sometimes even the existence of a group of people, you have the language manipulation of saying exactly what should be said about those people and saying it in the opposite direction. What do I mean? You had, um, on a number of occasions, Representative uh, DeLauro from uh, Connecticut in the U.S. House, Democrat Rosa DeLauro, whipped together a, a, a group of her fellow Democrats, all pro-abortion, and had them issue statements affirming their Catholic social teaching convictions. So, so let's, and you, and, you, and you know this from what, what Biden himself does. Look at how they deal with the language, and Pelosi too. They take the very words that are at the basis of protecting the unborn, and they speak them, trying to get people convinced that they're convinced of them, but they leave out the unborn. 
And meanwhile, while they're saying this language that should be convicting them to protect the unborn, they're justifying killing them. For example, this letter that came out, uh, this, they've done this a number, of, uh, a number of times, particularly on occasions when uh, the Pope has visited the United States. In one of these letters, these Democrat pro-abortion representatives said the following, We are committed to making real the basic principles that are at the heart of Catholic social teaching, helping the poor and disadvantaged, protecting the most vulnerable among us. This is what's so outrageous about this. They're getting up and saying that they're protecting the most vulnerable among us. But the most vulnerable among us are the very ones that they're killing and paying for the killing of the unborn. They are the most vulnerable. And yet, while supporting the slaughter of these babies, they're saying we stand for the most vulnerable among us. It's like... It's like when the Biden-Brandon Democrats now are saying that the biggest threat to our freedom and our republic and our democracy are the people in the MAGA movement. It's the same dynamic. It's the same misuse of language. Where you're miscategorizing a group of people deliberately by saying exactly the opposite of what the truth is. It's not just a uh, 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 it's not just a little bit of a departure from the truth. It's not just a, you know, being vague or, or, or nuancing the truth. It's, an, it's a complete reversal. Because they, the Democrat tyrants, are the ones who are the threat to our republic and our freedom. The MAGA movement are exactly the people who are defending freedom at its core and bringing more and more freedom to more and more people. Final example, uh, Pelosi, I did an open letter to her back in 2013 when abortionist Kermit Gosnell was convicted and thrown in prison for breaking state law, doing abortions beyond the limit that the state had imposed, and he would kill babies born alive like at 23 weeks. Pelosi, in a press conference, was asked, what is the moral difference between what Dr. Gosnell did to a baby born alive at 23 weeks and aborting her moments before birth? Pelosi refused to answer the question. And instead, she said, as a practicing and respectful Catholic, this is sacred ground to me when we talk about this. I don't think it should have anything to do with politics. Yeah, right. Look how she manipulates the language. First of all, she does think it should have everything to do with politics because she's pushing for laws allowing more of it. She's pushing for laws allowing more abortion. She's pushing for laws funding abortion. And then she goes and says it shouldn't have anything to do with politics. And then secondly, you're asked a question about this procedure that you're funding who asked you to talk about your Catholic faith? And she brings in practicing, respectful, Catholic. These are words that resonate with a lot of Americans. Sacred ground. Look at the use of these words. You know what it's like? It's like the initiatives being made in many states right now to put into their constitution a so-called right 
they invented out of thin air, because it's nowhere in the history of any of these constitutions, that there's a right to abortion. But they invent it and they say this right is, is fundamental and therefore nobody should restrict abortion at any time in pregnancy. And then, what happens? They use the sacred word, for, well first of all they use the word right. Anytime you're talking about a right to abortion, this is a manipulation of language. You're presuming ahead of time what you're trying to prove. You're not even trying to prove, you're just assuming it. You're begging the question. A right to abortion? Well, maybe there's another person involved here who has rights, namely the baby in the womb. But no, take the language and just assume at the outset the answer that people are actually debating about because they're trying to balance the rights of, of, of moms and of their children. But no, you just talk about the right to abortion. You've, 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 you've kicked the child out of the way right from square one. That's like you want to you see a manipulation of language. I'll get back to Pelosi in a second. Look at Biden's response to the Dobbs decision. He had a press conference and he went on for 15 minutes and said nothing about the second person in the equation. And a lot of Americans, again, they're, they're, they're battling in their minds, you know, how do you, what, what about the rights of the baby and vis-a-vis -vis the rights of the mother and where, where and how do they intersect and where does one end and the other begin? That's the, the, that's the crux of the abortion debate. And, you know, hey, listen, it's simple to resolve that debate just by eliminating one side of the equation altogether right from square one. If all you're talking about is women's rights, well, then it's easy. And that's all that Biden did in his response to the Dobbs decision. In fact, that's all the dissent in the case did, too. You read the dissenting opinion, the minority of the justices, three of them, who did not want to reverse uh, Roe v. Wade, the majority even pointed this out. They said what's most striking about this dissent is that it says absolutely nothing and gives no weight at all to the rights of the unborn baby. Talk about manipulation of language. Going back to Pelosi, she did this again in the July 2021 press conference where she was asked about votes on a tax, a piece of legislation dealing with taxpayer funding of abortion. She wouldn't even allow a Speaker of the House, she wouldn't allow a vote on a bill that uh, many Americans support, most Americans would support, not having their tax money go pay for somebody else's abortion. And instead of address the, addressing the reasoning behind the legislative strategy of the Democrats, she once again started talking about her Catholic faith. Again, using language in the most obvious and insulting misapplication that you, can, that you can imagine. Or using litanies of injustices in the world or problems that have to be solved. I heard this, you know, a, a, a Dr. Alveda King, niece of Martin Luther King Jr., is part of our ministry team at Priests for Life. And so for many years, she and I would be going to the Martin Luther King holiday celebration service at Ebenezer Baptist Church in, in, in Atlanta. The service would go on for hours on end. Really great, inspiring. An inspiring rhetoric about equality and human rights, dignity, justice. Um, inspiring rhetoric about nonviolence. Except that a lot of those people saying those words were pro-abortion Democrats in favor of allowing abortion at any time in pregnancy, which is the dismemberment of babies in the womb. So it's like, wait a minute, 
You, the words are talking about equality, and the, the action you're endorsing doesn't acknowledge the equality of the baby. You're using the words properly about nonviolence, and you're giving many, many, many examples of people in our society that need to be treated nonviolently. And the manipulation of language comes in the big omission, the blind spot. What about the unborn? You're talking about nonviolence, but then you're allowing violence against these babies. Naomi King, Alveda's mom, sister-in-law of Martin Luther King Jr., received an award from us one year in Washington, D.C., a pro-life award, and she gave a speech in which she said, nonviolence is not nonviolence if it still includes some violence. Equality is not equality if you still tolerate some inequality, namely abortion. She came against the manipulation of language, but the pro-abortion Democrats, they're doing this all the time. All the time. Let's be concerned about the poor and the homeless and the victims of war and crime and gun violence and stabbings. Well, if what you're saying is inspired by a concern for vulnerable human lives, if what you're saying is concerned by, inspired by a concern for children, if you're screaming about children at the border and being kept in cages, what about the children being dismembered in the abortion facilities? They don't mention the unborn. And that is a key example of language control aimed at thought control, aimed at continuing to oppress the unborn. Brothers and sisters, uh, that's all the time we have for tonight. But check out these books. Obviously, the Democrat Party Hates America. Get Mark Levin's book if you haven't gotten it yet. And Dehumanizing the Vulnerable When Word Games Take Lives, Professor William Brennan. We are one movement, one people, one family, and one glorious nation under God. And together, we will make... Friends, I am so grateful to you for uh, joining these programs uh, each night and for letting other people know about them. You know, these are serious things that we're facing. Let's pray again to the God who created our mind, gave us the ability to think and to speak. And uh, let's sum up our, our prayers for one another and for this nation by offering the very prayer that Jesus gave us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I'll be back with you tomorrow. Thanks, friends. Spread the word. Connect with me on social media at FR Frank Pavone. And God bless you. Hello, this is Father David Begany. Like many priests, I am inspired and always learning from the Ministry of Priests for Life which is one of the largest and most visible pro-life organizations in the world. This ministry relies on your financial support to be able to do its work, produce its programs, and travel the world to advocate for the unborn. May I ask you to support Priests for Life generously? Go today to prolifegift.org and give as generous a gift as you can. Thank you so much and be assured of our daily prayers for you. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. 
To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.